Um, okay, so today, obviously, it's a little bit different. Um, I'm going to be speaking this morning on baptism, and then we're going to do our baptisms right after the, uh, towards the end of the service. And one of the things I like to do is I like to do the baptisms during worship because it should be a point of celebration for the church. Um, uh, we used to do them in a pool, but uh, which was good, but at the same time, only a few people were there, and it really should be a community thing. So that's why we want to be doing it here. And so basically what's going to happen is I'm going to speak for 25, 30 minutes, and then um, uh, towards the end, uh, those of you who are being baptized, after I'm done speaking, you're going to come on up front. We're going to get a little bit of direction. There's going to be a short break for about four and a half minutes while we get reoriented. The worship team will get things set back up, and then we're going to uh, uh, start worship and go. And then uh, after that, um, uh, Pastor Abel is going to be praying for the food, and then we're going to go there. So uh, we're doubly blessed today, you know, which is pretty awesome. Now, if you're um, being baptized today and uh, there is someone with you, if you're uh, if parents, if you have children being baptized today, I want to encourage you to come on up and, and be part of that, okay? And uh, you can hold them down as long as you want. It's good. Uh, yeah, you know, it's a, it, the sanctification process takes a little longer in some people. It's just the way that it works. Um, uh, remember, as I've said in the past, bubbles equal sin. So when the bubbles stop, you're redeemed. Um, so anyway, moving right along. Um, so, uh, okay, it's not entirely how that works. Uh, <laughs> uh, so um, as we celebrate this, this process of baptism today, it really is uh, one of the greatest ceremonies that we have in the, in the Christian church. It's actually one of the oldest ceremonies within the, within the Christian church that we've adopted in relationship to our New Testament faith and, and uh, faith in Christ. Baptism is a universal symbol around the world. Baptism into the Christian church is a universal symbol even through other, other faiths. Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, they all recognize the, the, the uh, uh, intense uh, meaning behind a Christian baptism. Um, which is why in some faiths, like the Muslim faith, they don't care if you want to call yourself a Christian until you get baptized. Now, when you get baptized, you've crossed a line that can't be crossed. Isn't that interesting? Um, that, uh, that it can be that powerful. And, and the, if you think of the imagery of baptism, of going under the water, it reminds us of the death and burial of Christ. And then coming up out of the water reminds us of the resurrection of Christ. So for us, it is a symbol of the old man going down, and a new man coming up. That's the idea. And the thing to, remi- to remember is that it's a symbol of a change that has already taken place. It's pretty amazing. It is a wonderful picture of salvation, of the cleansing of our spirit, of forgiveness, forgiveness of sin, and the rebirth of the spirit within. Now, at the same time, as, as available as baptism is, and, and as, as, as known as baptism is, it's also a very misunderstood and very misused process. It's a ceremony of our faith. And that's what we have to remember. It's a public ceremony. It has no power in and of itself. So one of the things I want to do this morning, God willing, is to bring some clarity to the situation so that we all understand what's happening here today. So the first thing I want to deal with is this idea. There's this been this thing that's been going around the Christian church for a number of years and on, online, it's been, it's been gaining a lot of traction and I can't figure out why. And the, 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 what I'm talking about is there are people who are teaching that in order to go to heaven, you have to be water baptized. 
See, believing in Jesus is good. Now, I want you to think about this. Believing in Jesus is good, but to them, believing in Jesus isn't enough. You have to believe in Jesus and be baptized. Could you imagine giving your faith to Christ, living your life, following the teachings of Christ, doing everything you can to bring people to the gospel? You get to the gates of heaven, and he goes, you forgot to get dunked. What were you thinking? Take the down elevator. You know, I mean, could you imagine the silliness behind that? But that is a belief that has been permeating the church for a lot longer than we tend to think. And ironically, the scriptures that people who actually try to put this doctrine forward utilize come from John 3. And it starts out, Jesus replied, assuredly, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the spirit. And what they say is that the water is water baptism. So you have to be born of water and, and of the Spirit. See, so if you, you could be born of the Spirit, and that's great, and that's wonderful, you'd be a really good person, but if you don't get dunked, you don't get to, you don't get to go to heaven. What a letdown. But see, the problem is, like with a lot of biblical misinterpretations, if you just keep reading, it tends to work itself out. So let's look at two whole verses about this. Starting in verse 5 says, Jesus, Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the Spirit, because humans can produce only human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So if you just keep reading, it becomes very, very clear that what Jesus is doing is comparing mortality to spiritual immortality. As a human, you are born of water. All of you ladies who have ever had a kid, before you start giving birth, what breaks? It's not the Spirit. <laughs> I mean, your spirit might break at the same time. You're just like, oh, no, it's about to happen whether I want it to or not. No, it's your water because that's a, that's a natural birth. Humans are born of water first. That's how you all got here. Don't take that too far. It doesn't mean you're a fish. Okay? So humans can... Own, now, you think about this. The life that a human is capable of bringing is specifically limited to human life. The only thing we can do on this earth in our human mortal form is produce human life. We cannot in any way, shape, or form produce spiritual life. And we cannot reclaim the spiritual life that was lost back in Genesis chapter 3. Because we are limited to human life. So we are born of water. And then we must be reborn of the Spirit which is not something that we actually have the capability of doing on our own. Check this out in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses uh, 7 through 9. It reads like this. It says, So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Now listen to this carefully. God saved you by his grace. Everyone read this with me. When you believed. Can we go back and say that again? I need to hear you. When you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for doing good things that we have done so none of us can boast about it. We are not saved. There is nothing that we do outside of putting our faith in Christ that can bring righteousness to us. Nothing. And some of us have a hard enough time doing that. A lot of times we want to get saved right here. 
And then we want to go out the, out, out the door of the church and live our life like it never happened. <laughs> Can I just get saved every Sunday? And that'll work if you die right after church. But unless you've planned that out, which it's a little weird, that doesn't work. We've got to live our life. Understanding the sanctification of Christ. So the, to make the point in the most simplistic of ways, there is nothing you will ever do on your own that will ever, in any way, make you worthy of heaven. Nothing. Listen to these two passages. Now, every time we get to the word believing, please say that out loud with, out loud with me, just so we can understand how often this happens. If you openly declared that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. For it is uh, by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Pay attention to that. By openly declaring your faith. We'll get to that, get back to that in a minute. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives them generously uh, uh, to all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they call on him unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how uh, will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Can anyone tell me how many times baptism was mentioned in that passage? None. None. But how about this one? Let's look at the words of Jesus himself. As Moses lifted up the bronze uh, uh, snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. Again, how many times was baptism mentioned in there? None! Baptism does not save. But wait a minute. You might be asking yourself, what about passages like this? Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Hmm. Boy, I don't know what to do with that one. Let's just forget it. Let's move on to another one. Those who believe uh, uh, believe what Peter said and were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all in Acts uh, 3.21. Now, why don't you think about this? The passage in Mark, what did we just read Paul talking about? We must confess openly with our mouths, right, that Jesus is Lord. So we're confessing the Lordship of Christ publicly and openly. That is a public declaration of commitment before the body of Christ, before the community of faith, that you are committing your life to the path of Christ. That's all that is. It's just a public declaration. But then you must believe in your heart in the resurrection of Christ, which means you believed in his death on the cross the purpose of that death on the cross, and the penalty that was paid by that death on the cross. You can't believe in the resurrection without believing all of that at the same time. So it's an internal belief that is accompanied by an external declaration. That's all Paul is saying. Now, if you look at this, anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. Listen to what he's saying. Believes is the internal 
The baptism is the external. You see? Believe and be baptized. So make the change inside and let the Spirit of God make the change inside and then let everyone see that you have committed to this path. The internal followed by the external. And what about, and what does he say? Those who believed and are baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. You notice it didn't say anyone who refuses to be baptized will be condemned. It's not what it says. See, condemnation is the refusal to believe. And in Acts, those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000. They believed, so they were baptized to be added into the church. Again, it was the internal change followed by the external example. This is no different from what Paul was talking about in Romans 10. It's the exact same process, just stated slightly differently. Baptism is a ceremony to commemorate the inward change of the work of the Holy Spirit and its only value, please listen to this, the, the only value that baptism has is if it is followed up by the commitment that you have. The only value that it has is that you actually live it out. There's a lot of people who get baptized over and over and over again. You know, it's like someone who gets saved every Sunday or at least 12 times a year. You know, I tried, I tried, I really did. I mean it this time. I know the last time I got saved, I was, I, I said I meant it then, but boy, this time, um, baptism can be exactly the same way. I know people who've been baptized over a dozen times. And when I talk to them, they're like, I just want to be sure. Like, you know what? I can live with that. I can go with that. That's no, that's no problem at all. And today, if you feel the need to be baptized and you weren't on the list, just so that you know, we have extra clothes. We have sweatpants and t-shirts back there for you. Uh, can't guarantee they're going to, you know, be stylishly fitting. But, you know, you may end up with extra small pants and a 3X shirt. But hey, you know, the real point is that you go through it. So if you feel the need to just get up and be baptized later, we can take care of that. Okay. Uh, we can make that happen. Too many churches today, too many denominations today teach that baptism is a way of making sure that you get to go to heaven. One of the common practices in the Catholic church is you baptize an infant so that no matter how their life turns out, they're good. Mm, no. No, all you really did was get that kid wet in front of everybody. Because that child has no ability to believe. At that moment. See, that's why we wait until, the, until that, that person is able to understand what they're doing. No parents pushing their kids to get baptized. This is not a photo op. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Everybody else's kids are being baptized. Don't care. It's about their faith, not yours. So you gotta be, we gotta, we gotta take, take a look at this in, you know, in, a, in a realistic fashion. Baptism is a commitment. It is a statement. It is a declaration to all those watching that I choose to follow the path of Christ. That's what that declaration is. You're standing up before the community of faith and you're saying, I am making the choice 
to let go of my carnal past, my old life, the way society lives, and I am deciding to follow Jesus. And I want to announce that before all of you so that all of you can help me walk that path. Kind of like in a wedding when they say, is there anyone here who can see a reason why these two shouldn't be married? No, you see, as people who have been invited to a wedding, you are asked to help. When people who are here as a community of faith, as the body of the church, here watching these people be baptized, not only into, into their faith, but also into this community, we are agreeing, yes, I will walk this path out with you. Good, bad, ugly. And believe me, you'll experience all of that throughout the walk of faith. Stay a Christian long enough, it's the challenges come, it's just the way that it works. But we agree to walk. Baptism is public because we want our faith to be public. We don't want our faith to be private. We live in a nation where we're supposed to express our faith. And we're supposed to be able to do that without hesitation. So much of the church doesn't. Because we think we'll get made fun of. We'll be looked on badly. We may get persecuted. Oh no. Heaven forbid that the promises of scripture get lived out in our lives. <laughs> and Jesus says, they will not like you because you follow me. It's just the way that it works. Listen to this command of Christ. This is the last command Jesus gives his people before he returns to heaven. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them, uh, teach those new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It is a tremendous command. And the parts of that command, that first one, go, is a gentle reminder to all believers that being an attendee at a church is not good enough. Showing up and punching your time card of faith is not good enough. Jesus said, go. And that doesn't mean you got to sell your house, pack everything up, move to the other side of the world. That's not what that means. It simply means be in constant action. For some of us, our lives will never go past that 50-mile or 20-mile stretch of land. You know, I was born in this house. Okay. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But that doesn't mean that you get out of it. See, I, I didn't have a chance to go. I was always here. Well, no, you go to work. You go to friends' houses. You go on vacations. You go, you go places. So when you go, you take Christ and the gospel message with you. That's what he's saying. You go. It is not enough to be a bench-warming Christian. These are, these are, not, these are not benches. These are seats. This is not an auditorium for you to come in and watch the worship team or watch me preach. What a boring existence that would be. I mean, I'm pretty cool, but still. There's limits. You know, there's just limits. Thank you for that, whoever went, ha, over there. I was just really good. <laughs> Humility check. It always, always works really well. That's awesome. <laughs> for others, you will go. You will be sent. Maybe you're sent by Uncle Sam in the military. Just because you got orders to go to a base on the other side of the world doesn't mean you don't take Christ with you. Doesn't mean you don't be an example for God there. There are so many pieces and parts to this, 
but we're to go constantly, always. And the purpose of us going is to make a disciple. I want to, I want to say this carefully because this is, this is, this is important. We make disciples, not converts. Denominations look for converts. I want you to give up being this life and I want you to be a good insert denominational name here. Good Methodist, good Catholic, good Baptist, good whatever, good Pentecostal. See, I want you to be that. I know I, I, this is weird for some people, but Jesus wasn't Baptist. He wasn't Catholic. Jesus wasn't Pentecostal. He wasn't Methodist. He wasn't Baptist, First Baptist, Anabaptist, another Baptist. He wasn't any of that. Religion is a set of rules that try to define how you're supposed to live your life. That's what a religion is. And religion itself is not bad. We all have a set of rules that we live by. But faith is different. A disciple is one who is going to follow in the teachings of Christ as outlined in the scriptures alone. Whether your denomination adheres to it or not. If the only teaching you get as a member, as an attender at this church is me, you are missing out. You're meant to study this yourself. I am here to help you understand how. That's the point. I am not your doorway to salvation. I am supposed to be for lack of a better phrase, a schoolmaster of understanding. Because I can't live your life for you. But I can help you understand what the Word of God says about living life. And then you spend your time in it allowing the Spirit to speak to you. Because the last thing you want to do is stand before God on your day of judgment and go, Pastor said... Uh, no. I'm off in the corner going, Don't bring me into this. Yeah, <laughs> like all those years of messages, and that's the one thing you remember? <laughs> it's not how it works. We're supposed to make disciples. A disciple is one who follows after the teachings of. And we're supposed to teach. Teach has two sides. The first side to teaching is to be committed to learning. Anyone in the teaching field, anyone who's ever been involved in teaching on a, on, a, on a consistent basis will tell you this. The first step to being an effective teacher is understanding what it takes to be a good learner. If you don't understand what it takes to be a good learner, you will never be a good teacher. Because as a teacher, all you're going to try to do is relay information. That is not teaching. I can do that with a free library card. A teacher is one who brings understanding. And to do that, you have to understand how people learn. It's not just read, take the, take the quiz, and go about it. It's about appropriately bringing information to people that is useful for them. So as a Christian, our first step as a believer in Christ is understanding that we need to learn. And we need to understand how to learn. We need to understand how to read our Bible. We need to understand how to apply what it is we're learning. It's not just simply coming to church feeling good about ourselves. It's about becoming a disciple. The other side of that, well, you think about this. The apostles were taught by Christ himself. And now they were charged with what? Passing on what they have learned. 
But first, they were taught. Today, when we first come to Christ, the first and foremost thing we need to be committed to is to understand that we need to be taught. But we need to be taught by those who are also qualified to teach. This is an epidemic in the church today. There's a lot of people out there being taught by those who are not qualified to teach, not by a long shot. And what I mean is this, they have never been taught by those who were qualified to teach. Oh, I forgot to put this section of scripture in there. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, they do not need to be ashamed because they rightly divide the word of truth. There is a point of teaching where people need to be ashamed because they're bringing their opinion of scriptures, not the truth of scriptures. The world is filled with people, and especially YouTube. Whew, man, YouTube is amazing with this. For people who have been called by God to preach, but man, they do not need to be submitted to another man because they have the spirit within. When you hear someone say they do not need to be submitted to a teacher, a man, because they have the spirit of God within, run. Because the one thing they don't have is discernment and wisdom. Those are not people who should be teaching. And they may have had a legitimate call in their life, but they negated it by refusing to follow the commands of Jesus to be taught, to learn what it means. Jesus said, teach them to obey all that I have shown you. Teach. The fourth piece of that command, baptize. Baptize. Listen to these passages. Starting in Acts chapter 8, 34 through 38, it says, The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? This is, this is uh, um, read the rest of it yourself. It says, so in the beginning, uh, so beginning with the same scripture, Philip told the good news about Jesus to this eunuch. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? That question is more significant than most of us realize. He ordered the carriage to stop. They went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. Why was that so amazing? Because the eunuch was not only an Ethiopian, he was a Gentile, and he had been mutilated. A eunuch is not a system of belief. A eunuch is something that happens to you that I'm going to leave that alone. Look it up for yourself. Just Well, maybe don't. Anyway. In Hebrew tradition, you were, not, you were not welcome into the faith if you had mutilated your body. So here is Philip, a good Jew, being led by God to bring the gospel to a Gentile, someone that a few months ago he would have looked at as a worthless dog. Someone too low on the scale to even be worthy of the gospel. And here he is preaching the gospel to him. And then he does the unthinkable. He takes him down and baptizes him, proving to, to uh, uh, the Holy Spirit, proving to Philip that God cares nothing about cultural and racial barriers. They don't exist anymore. They only exist when we allow them to exist. They only become a problem when we make them a problem because God doesn't care. See, God created two people in the beginning, and everybody else, all other races on the earth, are the result of that. The Human Genome Project, a number of years ago, did a, did a cross-cultural DNA sample, and this is their published findings. There's only one race on the earth, the human race. Everything else is culture. I found that to be wonderful. But the Jews didn't like that. They believed everyone needed to be like them. And God is saying, no. Baptism is proof 
that I don't care where you come from. I care about your soul. In Acts 10, 44 through 48, it says, Even as Peter is saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. This is in the house of Cornelius. The Jewish believers who came with Peter, listen to this, were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles? For they had heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, Can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterwards, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. Here we are again. Cornelius was not someone that the Jews would have ever fellowshipped with. He was a worthless person. But just before God led Peter to the house of Cornelius, you got that picture of the sheet being led down on the top of the roof house and all the food in it. And God saying, don't call clean what I've called good. Peter didn't understand it. Now Peter is seeing the reality here where God is saying this process of salvation, the forgiveness of sin and baptism is not just for you. It's bigger than that. I didn't come to save just the Jewish nation. I came to save everyone. I just used you as the vehicle. And so now baptism is open to everyone, even the people you don't think deserve it. And Peter's eyes were opened. And this one's even, I think, even more often, uh, more awesome. Acts 16, 29. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. This is when Paul and Silas had been beaten and then jailed. And then they started singing and everything kind of, you know, fell apart. He brought them out and asked, sirs, think about this. Brought them out. This is the guy who was probably holding the whip a little while ago. He brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I know I just bloodied your back. I know I chained you to that wall. I know that I was probably calling you all kinds of bad names before, but God has just shown himself to me. I'm a little afraid right now. What do I need to do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. Now notice that he didn't say, and then be baptized. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour at night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And listen to this. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. All these people, all of these processes are the same. People are presented with the gospel message. The change happens from the inside. The Holy Spirit does the work of renewing the, uh, bringing the rebirth of the Spirit. That rebirth of the Spirit prompts something in them, and they want to publicly declare their faith in the ceremony of baptism. Because we know what that means. That is the, that is the, the, the end of the road for the process. That is, you know what? I believe and I want everyone to know I believe, so I am going to be baptized into the community of faith. It's such an amazing picture of faith. Believing, anyone can say, sure, I believe. Sure, I believe. Sure, I believe. But then never actually walk their faith out publicly. And then you have to ask at that point, Do you believe? 
Because if your actions don't match your confession, then your confession is a lie. Right? Let me give you a really, really simple example. If I buy a membership to the most amazing gym in the area. So how are you doing with your fitness? I got a membership at Gold's Gym. You should see that place. It's amazing. The trainers all over the place. It is it is awesome. When they gave me the tour, I couldn't believe it. I got my own locker and everything. It's just fantastic. Well, that's awesome. Well, how often do you go? Go? I bought a membership. I don't want to go. There's sweaty people there. Everything smells like, smells like muscle. Why can't they pipe in, I don't know, the smell of cupcakes or something? You see, if my actions are the opposite of my confession, then my confession is a lie. So if I say, I believe in Jesus and I want to go to heaven, but I'm going to live no different than someone headed to hell, then my confession of faith is a lie. 